0: Acts chapter number 17 is where we'll be today. Acts chapter number 17. While you're turning there, we had quite a week around here at the Lord's house, and uh, one of the things that we found out earlier on in the week, may have been a little bit before a week ago, was that one of our church members who's living up in Oklahoma has passed away. Her name was... Ray and I forgot, Ray Morris, Ray Morris and her funeral services, I believe they're going to be scheduled for 1030 in the morning, one week from tomorrow on the 25th. Um, let's remember to pray for the family that's coming and uh, let's try our best to be there uh, for them as a church family. We're also going to try to prepare a luncheon just as we did for the Smith family. It's basically going to be the same order with the exception of uh, the funeral services, will start at ten thirty, uh, whereas last time they started at ten. Uh, we'll do a ten thirty service at Biggers. We'll come here for lunch. We'll depart here about one to one fifteen for the graveyard, uh, which is going to be at the national cemetery again. And um, let's do our best to be a blessing to that family. All right, in Acts chapter number seventeen, we have a uh, the story of Mars Hill when Paul, the apostle Paul, preached a sermon when he went to Greece. In Acts chapter number 17, in verse number 16, it describes the story. We'll give you a little background after we pray, but let's just read the scripture. If you don't have a Bible with you, you might be able to look in front of you in the, in the pew, in the, uh, the chairs. We have pew Bibles everywhere. If you'd like to use one of those this morning, if you didn't bring one, it's good to have a Bible. One of the reasons it's good to have a Bible is you can check up on me. You can make sure that what I'm telling you comes straight from the Bible. Uh, Because you certainly don't want me preaching my opinions today. Acts chapter number 17 and verse 16 says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. Therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews and with the devout persons, and in the market daily with them that met him. Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and of the Stoics encountered him. And some said, what will this babbler say? Others some, he seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him unto Areopagus, saying, may we know what this new doctrine whereof thou speakest is. For thou bringest certain things to our ears. We would know, therefore, what these things mean. For all the Athenians and strangers which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by, and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, Him declare I unto you. Please give us your attention this morning as we try to preach a message entitled Preaching About the Unknown God. Preaching About the Unknown God. Let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, We thank You for bringing us to this time, and we pray, Lord, that this time that we've separated for the preaching of Your Word would be used by You uh, to draw people to Yourself. Lord, I pray You'd protect me from saying anything that I shouldn't, and help me, Lord, to only preach those things which would honor and glorify You. We pray that You would work in these services, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. amen. This sermon was preached during the second missionary journey of Paul, when Paul began to Uh, work for the Lord and become this missionary and begin to take these travels, he was met with certain opposition. And this opposition traveled with him wherever he went. Wherever he went, it was almost like the followers of the devil followed him wherever he was and tried to thwart him, imprison him, kill him. There was a time in uh, Paul's life when he was let down by a basket because people had threatened his life. In Acts chapter 16, just before this, you find that Paul and Silas were preaching on this missionary journey. And because they had preached about the Lord Jesus Christ, they had been beaten with whips and thrown into a prison. And they were imprisoned there. They were chained there. And at midnight, they sang praises to the Lord. God sent an earthquake. It opened the doors to the prison. We find that a jailer got saved there. He was saved because Paul and Silas continued to preach. Even after they were shamefully entreated, as Paul talked about in the book of Thessalonians. In Thessalonians, the Bible says Acts chapter 17 gives you the history of how the church at Thessalon- Thessalonica was started. We have 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, letters written by Paul to a church that was started, and it shows you in Acts 17 how the church at Thessalon- Thessalonica was started. The Bible talks about people believing there in Thessalonica and in verse number five of Acts 17, but the Jews, which believed not moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. You say, what are you saying? What I'm saying is, whenever the preaching of the gospel goes forth, you can expect that some trouble's going to follow. The devil does not like the preaching of the gospel. You know why? Because he doesn't want people getting saved. And back in Bible times, there were great efforts taken by Satan and by his followers and those who did not receive the message of Christ to thwart the preaching of God's word. In Acts chapter 17, you find Paul being carried from city to city. The Bible talks about they left Thessalonica and they went to Berea in verse number 10. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas, notice, by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. Everywhere Paul and Silas went, they went to preach. They went to teach about Jesus Christ. They went to tell the message of the gospel, how that Jesus died how that He was buried, and how He rose again the third day, how His resurrection speaks to us about the resurrection of the dead, and there is a coming resurrection. If you have your Bible here in Acts chapter number 17, dealing with the subject of the resurrection, which we'll come back to, if you would flip back to the book of John and the fifth chapter. John chapter number 5. Speaking of the resurrection, you know, we're about to have another funeral service and I don't dwell a whole lot on funerals, but know this, we're all headed for death. We will not escape death. The Bible says, and as it is appointed unto men once to die. We have an appointment to die. You won't escape it. You can, you can quit drinking soda or pop, whatever you want to call it, Coke, Pepsi, whatever. You can quit drinking all your energy drinks and drink just water and be as healthy as you can, but you will not escape death. We're not going to keep going into all the health stuff. But in John chapter number 5, the Bible says this regarding the resurrection in verses 28 and 29. This is the book of John. John was a contemporary of Jesus. He worshipped with Christ. He saw Him. He was an eyewitness to Christ. The Bible says this, that Jesus said this, uh, John 5 and 28. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming... "...into which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice, and shall come forth, they that have done good unto the resurrection of life, and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation." The Bible speaks of these two different resurrections in the book of John. Now, Paul, as he spoke to those in in Athens, some of them did not believe in the resurrection of the dead. And Paul began to use this as a jumping off point to teach them what the Bible teaches about the resurrection. There is a resurrection. Your existence doesn't stop when you die. You will be somewhere forever. And you should consider that. The verse that one of the verses that drew me to salvation was found in the book of Mark where it says, What shall it profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? which is the Bible trying to get you, even as a young person, to compare. Would you like to die with $10 million in your bank, leaving it to those who come behind you? Or would you like to die with life eternal, where you'll spend eternity in heaven, a place of perfect bliss and rest with Jesus? Some people would like to have the money in this life. I remind you that your last suit will have no pockets. You're not going to take anything with you. So if that's what you're living for, go ahead. Eat, drink, and be merry. That's the best that it gets here in this life. But I'm telling you now, there is a life to come, the the hereafter, eternity. You need to prepare for eternity. This was why Paul was so stirred in Acts chapter number 17. See, he was taken to Berea in Acts 17 and verse 10. They went there by night, and notice they were followed. The Bible says the Jews from Thessalonica had knowledge that Paul went to Berea and they went there too. They were following Paul everywhere he went. And so they'd preach a certain place and people would get saved. And the Bible talks about here in verse 14 when they found out that the Jews were coming to Berea. Verse 14 says, And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go as it were into the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. So Silas and Timothy remained there at Berea while Paul got on a boat and went over to Greece. He winds up in Athens in verse 15. And they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens and receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come with all speed, they departed. So Silas and Timothy were then told by Paul, hey, you need to come over here with me. And now we get into the sermon. Paul is over there in Athens, Greece. This is actually a place. Oropagus in verse number 19 is a place. The Epicureans and the Stoics that were written about in verse number 18. You can study their beliefs and the things that they believed. They were philosophers. Epicureanism was a system of philosophy founded about 307 before Christ. It was based on the teachings of an ancient man named Epicurus. He was a Greek philosopher. Basically, these philosophers followed another philosopher named Aristippus, and I'm sure I mispronounced that. He believed that the greatest good was to seek a modest, sustainable pleasure in the form of a state of ataraxia, which means tranquility and freedom from fear. He believed the highest form of living was to live in pleasure. But the pleasure that he was speaking of was not a pleasure that you say would find in marriage, but a pleasure that would be found from freedom from fear and anxiety. This is who the Epicureans were. They were philosophers. The Stoics were similar. They were a, this was a school of Hellenistic philosophy that flourished in ancient Greece at the time. They followed some of the teachings of Aristotle, who taught in ethics, they believed in virtue ethics. They believed that virtue was the only good. They were people that believed that you had a virtue inside of you. Every person has that virtue and it needed to be fanned. And all I can say about these philosophies are they're unscriptural. What the Bible teaches us is this. There's none that doeth good. We are all sinners. Just like, you know, I have five children. I didn't have to teach any of them how to sin. They just knew. I didn't have to teach any of them not to like the word no. I didn't have to teach any of them to disobey me. They did it naturally because they got it from their mother. (laughs) That was a terrible joke, but at least you laughed. My wife is the saintly one in our relationship, and the only reason I could say that is because she is in the nursery, and as far as I know, the speaker is off. (laughs) I had a pastor once, he was preaching at my ordination service, and he was talking about something that was just foolish. He said something about his wife, and He said, go ahead. Send her the tape. He said, I get the mail. (laughs) That had nothing to do with the sermon. Uh, In Acts chapter 17, we find here when, when this started in verse 16, it said, now while Paul waited for them at Athens, he's waiting on Silas and Timothy to join him. Something happened to his spirit. He became stirred in his spirit when the Bible says that he saw the city Holy, given to idolatry. Now this word stirred is another word that if you go to 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, I want to point this out. The only other time this word stirred was translated in your English Bible is 1 Corinthians chapter number 13, which you might know as the love chapter. This is the chapter that describes biblical love. Where it talks about charity or love suffereth long and is kind. It's going to be a several series of messages when we preach through 1 Corinthians 13 when we learn about love in the future where we talk about what true love looks like and what it doesn't look like. But what the Bible says in verse number 5 about love, it says, "...doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own." Then it says this, "...is not easily provoked." True love doesn't get provoked easily. Okay? That same word provoked was translated stirred in Acts chapter number 17. It means there was a stewing in his spirit. The reason that his spirit was stirred was because of what he saw. He saw a city when he got to Greece that was full of idolatry. He saw a city that had a bunch of graven images and gods like Zeus and Ares that people prayed to. He saw idolatry. He saw false worship. And and when he saw it, he he was stirred in his spirit because he knew the way of the truth. I want to say this. The truth should stir us to action. I have no idea what is going on. I didn't cause any of that by any kind of magic or anything else. So if you think because, there we go, I just came on again, because I kept my hands on like this. No, Brother Ronnie just turned me on this microphone and turned me off. Does that mean I could take this one off? Thank you. I won't wander from the pulpit. Uh, Thank the Lord that we have multiple ways for this, my voice to be projected. His spirit was stirred within him. He was stirred because he saw idolatry. You know, in our Sunday school class at the 10 o'clock hour, we've been covering the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor worship them. The Bible speaks of not praying to a statue. That's what God says in the Ten Commandments. Don't do this. And yet, when Paul went over there, he saw people worshiping gods, and they were worshiping him ignorantly. They didn't understand how they were supposed to worship God, and they had erected an uh, a, a altar in verse number 23 to the unknown God. They even had an altar for a God that they didn't know about, and Paul used that and said, hey, listen, this is what I'm going to talk to you guys about. He used their own altar to say, I'm going to preach to you about this unknown God that you don't know about. And all I can say to you is that as Paul was stirred by what he saw, I too am stirred by what I see in our world today. There are a lot of things that should cause us to be stirred. Just a couple of years ago, I had a friend staying with us And we found out that tragically, his young nephew had died due to an overdose of fentanyl. Some people, even in our own world today, took some manner of pill. They didn't know what they were taking was a pill that was laced with fentanyl. And people are going out into eternity because of drug usage. It happens to common people. It happens to young people that sit in our services. And people that our young young people are friends with. You know, drug abuse... It stirs my soul. I came into a church one day for the funeral of a man who was no older than I was. He died to an overdose of Xanax. And his 10-year-old boy said, I hate Xanax. He was blaming Xanax for his father's death. I sat at that, with that man at, at, a, at, a, at a fire, at a men's activity at our, at our church just weeks before. His name was Robert... And I pleaded with Robert to get his heart and his life right with the Lord. And weeks later, I tried to comfort his little boy who had lost his father. That very week, I was preaching in the jail. And most of the times when I went to the jail, I was dealing with people who were either struggling with drug usage, drug addiction, or the manufacture of the same. And I went to the jail that week, and I truly threw a fit. I hate the effects of drug abuse I hate what it did to that young boy it stirred my soul to have that little boy hug my neck and say I hate Xanax he didn't even need to know what that word meant did I know what Xanax meant when I was 10 I didn't but that's the world in which we live today a world that has been corrupted by drug abuse, where people are turning to this as a refuge from, for, to, for where they are. They, they, they run to it. They say, we need to have something to, to help our souls. I want to tell you something. Jesus is far better than that. Jesus is a better refuge than that. Paul was stirred by what he saw. I'm not only stirred by things like drug abuse, but I'm, I'm stirred by unwanted and abused children. Many children come into the world and it's not too good of a situation for them. It wasn't the way that the Lord designed it. It stirs my soul to see unwanted kids. I love children. The Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is His reward. That's what God says about children. Jesus said, suffer the little children to come unto me. If there's anything in this church that's worth protecting, it's our children. And we ought to protect their minds. And we sure ought to protect their bodies. That's why we have security in this church. and We're doing our best to make sure we have a safe environment for people to come and worship in. It was a situation of abuse that I heard of years ago and I went to report it to the local police department and the police sergeant that I met with told me that I was the third person that week to come into the police station and report of childhood sexual abuse. It is an epidemic in our society today. It is is an epidemic in our society because we live in such a society where sin has crept in And it's in many ways stolen our nation's innocence. And we don't even know some of the things that we're dealing with today. All I could tell you was that my spirit was stirred when I spoke to that police officer who said I was the third person just that week in the city where I was to report such a thing. These are things that should stir our hearts unrighteous leaders should stir us. False religions uh, should stir us where people are being pointed to do something that is, that is not correct in order to go to, to, the, to heaven. The Bible says this about going to heaven, that there's only one way. There's only one way. The Bible says this through Jesus Christ himself. Jesus said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am one of the ways. He didn't say, I'm one of the ways in order to go to heaven. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said this, no man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Jesus is the only way. Discord among brethren causes a stirring of my soul. People who use places of ministry to take advantage of other people stir my soul. Paul, in this situation, was stirred. His spirit was stirred when he saw all of these idols... And he began to go to this place. He was actually taken to this place in verse number 19 called Aropagus. Aropagus was like a, it was like the Supreme Court, if you will, in Greece. It's a big stone or a rock. There's even uh, where they believe this place was, there's a there's some writing that has been placed there because people take pilgrimages and they, they want to see this place where Paul preached. This place, Eropagus, was basically where they had a council. It's where they would have trials uh, regarding murder and other things, and regarding issues of religion. And this is where Paul chose to deliver this sermon. Now we're only going to get through a couple of points today, but when Paul began to speak to these people who he was preaching to, he said, I'm going to talk to you about a God that you don't know. I'm going to preach to you about a God that you aren't acquainted with. And where does he start? He starts in the very same place that all of our education system should start with. And that is that we were made by a God in heaven, in verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein. Everything you see, God made men and women in His image. Now take your Bible and go back to Genesis chapter number 1. That's the very first book in all of the Bible. Genesis, a book of beginnings. In Genesis chapter number one, the scripture declares something that only God would know because only God was there in the beginning. The Bible says in verse one, in the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. You say, wait a second, I was told that the earth started from an explosion. I was told that all the matter in all the universe was compressed into the size of a period on a page. And all that matter spun around and then exploded and then everything came from that. Common sense defies that anything is built from an explosion. Explosions destroy things, they don't build things. It takes an awful lot of faith to believe that you came from an explosion. They call it the Big Bang Theory. It is a theory. It was created by someone who had rejected the story of Scripture. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Paul's preaching to these folks in Athens and they didn't believe in a creator. He said, I'm going to preach to you about a God that you don't know about and he started with Creation. I hope that there are some things that you will accept by faith. There could be someone here today and you've never heard this before or you don't believe this. Can I say this to you? God wants to reveal Himself to you and God did create you. The Bible talks about us being created in the womb of our mothers. Now we'll get in in just a moment, we'll get there to Psalm 139. But the Bible says that it was God who created the heavens and the earth. It was God who created the sun the moon, and the stars. It was God who created these things. The grass, the cows, the animals, the sea creatures, and all those things. But God's crowning creation was mankind. Genesis 1 and 26, and God said, let us make man in our image. This is one of the evidences of the Trinity in the Scripture. Some religions, they don't teach in the Trinity. They don't believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. That three make up one God. I know this, we serve one God, and He's manifested in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, and we do not deny this. 1 John 5, 7 declares this. Now, If you're carrying an NIV Bible, that verse will be missing. Because it was taken out of that Bible why you need to be careful which Bible you read because certain Bibles take away certain very, very doctrinal verses and there was a purpose and a reason for taking out 1 John 5 7. 1 John's at the end of your Bible it says for there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father the Word and the Holy Ghost and these three are one Jesus Christ declared in John chapter 10, I and my Father are one. That's John 10 and verse 20, 29 or so. Jesus claimed equality with the Father. He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, the visible manifestation of God. Jesus Christ was God in the flesh. Now God made man in his own image. And the Bible talks about the two genders that God created. Genesis chapter number 1 and verse 27. This is what God says about the matter. Don't listen to teachers. Well, they have a degree on their wall. I don't care how many degrees you have on the wall. The Bible says this about gender. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. This is how God creates people. Now we live in such a confused society and this has me stirred up, you know when I was growing up, there may have been some folks that were confused about their gender, and they were struggling with different persuasions of the day, but they weren't being encouraged by teachers to change their appearance so as to appear as if they were the other gender. You can have surgeries performed by a doctor that may take a man and make him appear to be a woman, but if he was created to be a man, that is what he is. And the same thing goes for a lady. She may not feel like a lady. There's plenty of times that our feelings change. We don't make decisions based on our feelings. I mean, sometimes I teach a lesson in Sunday school and somebody gets angry at me. I'm glad that they didn't follow their feelings and come up to the pulpit and punch me. We don't follow our feelings. We should follow the truth, and your feelings change. Today we live in a world that has people that are confused. You know what I know about confusion? God is not the author of confusion. God didn't author that. God's not having young people to be to be confused about their gender. And this is a message of hope and truth. I don't want you to think that I hate people who are confused. I believe there are answers from the Scripture. God can help people get through these feelings. There's plenty of feelings that I've had throughout my life that I've had to reject. I'm a married man. What happens if there ever comes a time in my life when I have a desire for somebody who's not my wife? Is that possible? Is it possible for a man to have feelings for someone that's not his wife? And if you do have those feelings, what should you do with them? Walk away. I shouldn't be thinking that. I I shouldn't. But, But that's the way I feel. You don't follow feelings. Most of our children are over here in children's church. And I wouldn't say this if we had younger children here. But what if someone, a grown man, honestly, in reality, had feelings that he should have a physical relationship with a six-year-old girl? Are you going to deny that he had the feeling? Well, I would tell you this, there's some wickedness in someone's heart. Somebody needs to get saved. But just because you have the feeling doesn't mean that you follow the feeling. And young people... The exact same truth is true of you. You're going to have feelings when you're young, when you get into your teenage years, that God wants you to hold in reserve for something called marriage. God created marriage to be between a man and a woman. Now, I just mentioned some very uncomfortable things here today. All I'm trying to say is just because you have a feeling doesn't mean you ought to follow it. There are plenty of people in jail today who had a feeling that because they were poor, they needed to go in and rob a bank. And now they sit in a jail cell. They're no good to their family in jail. They made a choice to follow their feelings. There are a lot of people who make choices based on whatever they feel. Just because you feel it doesn't mean it's right, and it doesn't mean that you should follow it. God created two genders. The Bible speaks about this in Acts chapter 17 where the Apostle Paul was preaching to a people who he was stirred about. He was stirred about the fact that they didn't know God. And he said this, I'm preaching about the unknown God, and he said, God that made the world and all things therein. In in Acts chapter number 17 and verse number 24. Now if you have your Bible, if you flip back to the book of Psalms, and the 139th chapter, Psalm chapter 139 talks about the Lord knowing everything about us. The Lord knows our down sitting and our uprising. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He knows everything about us. You know, some of you I've met very recently. I don't know who your parents are, your grandparents, your ancestors. I don't know where you came from. I don't know what town you were born in. You may have just met me. You don't know... Where I was born, where I came from, who my parents were, my grandparents, my great grandparents, my pedigree, if you will. But God knows all about it. God knows every way that you came here today. He knows your parents, your grandparents. He knows your history. He knows your thoughts. The Bible says in verse number uh, Psalm 139, it says in verse 1, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my down-sitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compasseth my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways. God knows everything about us. And then it goes on to say, there's not even a word in my tongue that the Lord doesn't know altogether. In verse number 4. It talks about fleeing from God's presence and it talks about that there's no place that God can't see us. And then the Scripture talks about this in verse number 13. How we were created. How God made you. God made you different from everyone else that's ever been. You are unique. And you were formed by the hand of God in the womb of your mother. The Bible says in verse number 13, For thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Notice in verse 14, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Who made you? God made you. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. By who? By God. Marvelous are thy works. This is what God did. And that my soul knoweth right well. Verse 15, talking about God, forming a child in the womb of the mother. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lower parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Then he goes on to talk about how precious God's thoughts are to us. All I'm trying to tell you is this. Just as Paul preached the creation of God to these folks in Athens, Greece, I'm preaching the creation of God to you in Fort Worth, Texas. There is a God that created this world and He created you for a purpose. He created you with a purpose to glorify Him. You cannot glorify God in your flesh. Now, in Acts chapter number 17, if you flip your Bible back there, we're going to get straight to what Paul preached here. We just talked about the creation, and we're going to come back to this next week as we continue the sermon. But know this, as Paul is preaching, he introduces these folks to an unknown God, and then he begins talking to them about the God that created the world. The Bible says in verse number 31 of the same passage, because he, speaking of God, hath appointed a day into which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now who and what is Paul preaching about in verse number 31? He's preaching about judgment day. The Bible says this, And as it is appointed unto men once to die... After this, the judgment. You can prepare for this judgment. Paul is preaching to these folks to prepare for the judgment day. And he talks about that there, God has ordained in verse number 31, there's, there's an appointed day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. Notice he says, by that man whom he hath ordained. You know what that, who that man is? That man is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came to this earth 2,000 years ago. He was born in Bethlehem in a stable. He was born of a virgin. He was the sinless Son of God. He had no earthly father. He lived a sinless life. The Bible says He was tempted in all points like we were, yet He was without sin. When John the Baptist saw Jesus Christ walking by the place where he was baptizing people, he called out to everyone who was listening and said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. He looked at Jesus and said, This is the one who can take away sin. Jesus is the one who can forgive. That's that man that Paul's preaching about in verse 31. He's that man whom the Lord, is, whom God has ordained Notice he says, Whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and that he hath raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ died on Calvary about 2,000 years ago. The whole world is dated around him. Your dating system. When you put 2023, 2023 years after what? 2023 years after what? After Christ. The whole world is dated around Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to this earth and at the end of His days He allowed Himself to be crucified. He allowed His blood to be shed so that men, women, boys and girls could be forgiven of their sin. And you know what His resurrection shows us? There is life after death. Jesus died. He was buried. And He rose again. And when He rose again, He still had those nail scars in His hands. When He rose again, He ate with His disciples. When He rose again, He was still in bodily form as He was before. It was His physical body that rose from the dead. We believe in the resurrection of the dead. You know, we as God's people, there's a coming resurrection for us too. It's the resurrection of life. And praise the Lord, when we die, the Bible talks about the judgment we get to go to is called it's not called the, the judgment, or it's not called the great white throne judgment, as you read about in Revelation 20, where everybody who goes to that judgment is, is banished and is sentenced to a, a, a life, uh, to an eternity without God. It talks, we are going to the place called the judgment seat of Christ. We've been forgiven of our sin. You know when you get saved, God forgives you of all your sin, past, present, and future? You know where your sins got judged? On Calvary, through Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ, when you say, Lord, I'm a sinner, I don't want to die without you, all I want to do is be saved, I want to be forgiven of my sin, you know what the Lord says, I'll save those who come to me and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and he forgives you of your sin, and imputed to you is God's righteousness, his righteousness that Jesus has. You know, the Bible says, and he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin.'" that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God can make you righteous. God can forgive you of your sin, but it's only through repenting of your sins and believing in the Gospel. You see, in order to be saved, you have to come to Christ in in a fashion where you understand there is no hope outside of Jesus. You are not a hope for yourself. You can't save yourself. If you came to your salvation experience believing, I can save myself, You came believing something wrong. You can't save yourself. You can't do anything. You say, but I can change. I can stop using curse words. I can stop thinking dirty thoughts. I can stop doing wrong. Yeah, but you you may think you can stop doing those things, but who atones for that? You're not going to give an account. You know, when a judge brings somebody before his bench, he's not judging them for the right things they've done. He's judging them because they broke the law. You don't get judged for the right things. It's for the stuff you did wrong. And the Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. I want to say this to you as we close today. God loved you enough to make sure that the payment for your sins was made. He loved you through Jesus Christ. And there's only one way to be saved, and that's through believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have never come to a place and time in your life when you've been saved... When you've turned from sin, you didn't want to live another day without Christ anymore. Where you desired to be forgiven of sin. If you've never come to that day when you wanted to take Christ as your Savior, I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you today during this invitation time. Won't you step out of the aisle and say, you know what? I need to be saved. We'll show you from the Bible how God says He saves people. The Bible says this in John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God loved you. He gave Jesus Christ in order to save you from your sins. He came to this earth, He died, He was buried, He rose again, and now He still calls men to repentance. He still calls sinners to salvation. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Are you lost today? Have you ever believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Say, Pastor, I'm not sure. If I died right now, I'm not sure where I'd go. This message is for you. The Lord wants to save you. The Bible says that God's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He wants everyone to be saved. I want to invite you today, if you're not saved, you come come and receive Jesus Christ. It's a beautiful thing when someone says, God, I need to be saved. God wants to bring you to that day where amazing grace touches your heart. Let's stand together with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. We're going to prepare to have this verse of invitation. This is a time where our church separates what we call an invitation. It's a call for people who may need to come forward to the altar and pray. The musicians will start in just a moment and... And when they do, basically, we're calling you to come down if you need to use the altar for, for any reason. You could be a Christian here today, and you're overburdened with problems and difficulties, and you need to, you need to come down to the altar and pray. You could be somebody who's in the church house and say, "Well, I've never heard the gospel. I'm not saved today. I need to get saved." Some of your your thoughts, your experiences, you know, if someone preaches the Word of God, a lot of times things brew up inside the heart people go oh man there's stuff in there that I never knew I need to be forgiven I want to tell you this Jesus is willing to save you he wants to forgive you if you if you're one of those and you've never been saved I want to invite you to come as Brother John says, this first verse with our heads bowed and her eyes closed step out, out. I so won't you come Oh God, I want to tell you about this God you've never known, a God that you didn't know about. We will sing on number two. scripturally baptized and the Lord's been working on you to submit yourself as a candidate for scriptural baptism. And maybe the Lord's working on you in order to join the church. Maybe you're not a member of a church and you want to join the Metropolitan Baptist Church. If God's worked in your heart during this time, we invite you to come on this verse. And when And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. It's been good to be in God's house today. We want to remind you that tonight we have services at 6 o'clock. We have a choir practice 445, a ladies ensemble at 415, and we have another service just like this where we've been going through the book of 1 Samuel, and I believe we're going to be finishing the book of 1 Samuel tonight. We've learned a lot about David during his years of wandering on, uh, on the run from Saul, And uh, I hope and pray that that's been a blessing to you. We'll be covering that again uh, tonight at 6 p.m. We're going to go ahead and pray and be dismissed. I'm going to call Brother John Davison up to the pulpit here, and he's going to pray and dismiss the service in prayer, please.
1: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings, for your goodness to us, Lord. Thank you for... Uh, letting us come here today and be able to listen to your word. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to remember it, Lord. Help us to apply it to our lives so we can live uh, a life that would honor and glorify you. Lord, today we know that uh, uh, as of now, the time is not too late to accept you as, as our personal Savior. If uh, there's someone still here today that doesn't know you, that if they can come to that, that knowledge, Lord, they can accept you as their Savior. I pray, Lord, that they won't delay. Lord, have your perfect will in our lives. Bring us back tonight safely to hear your word again for your will. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.